Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Skinamarink and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca, who's already laughing, and super producer Craig Stanton. Welcome. Hello. Such a stupid <laughs> fucking name for a movie. A scary movie, no less. It's a scary uh, yes. movie? Uh, Yeah. Well, allegedly. We'll, we'll get into it. Is it like, uh, what was that movie where you looked in the mirror and said it three times? It's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. And then they come and kill you. You know what I'm talking about? I know of that concept. I don't know which movie you're referring to specifically. Anywho, uh, anyway. what's new? What have you been up to? Not a lot over here, AJ. It's kind of same old. You seem to be uh, recording from some sort of uh, YMCA or, or health club. I have. I put the <laughs> yeah, finishing. Yeah. Are you in a high school gym, like a high school athletic director's office? <laughs> well, I put the finishing touches on the home gym, which also doubles as an office, hence my recording in here. Um, and yeah, I, there is some other sports paraphernalia in my background that you can see here. Yeah, it's just a weird combination. Like I see, I see the the equipment. I see a rowing machine. I see a Peloton. I see a basketball signed by Brad Stevens, and then I see like a Lego spaceship, and then like a Christopher Nolan poster. Like, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's me in a room, AJ. I guess it's really just a culmination of my interests in really one place. Really painting a word picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's new with you, AJ? How are you? Uh, what's new with me? Uh, same old. Um, rocking a new mic setup today, so I, hopefully I'll get a lot of compliments. Uh, that I sound really good and much better than I normally do. Sound great. Much more phallic than your previous mic. The microphone is a massive robot dick. It's about 15 inches long. It's about oh lord. It's about an inch in diameter, and it is just in my mouth. Um, yeah. <laughs> for the last year and a half, we've been talking about something, Bill, that finally came out. Yes, AJ. I know that you have been greatly anticipating this uh, golf Netflix show f- at full swing. Bubba Bully! <laughs> Uh, how's it going? It hasn't lived up to your expectations. No, I mean, it, I think it could have been shot better. So here's my deal. It's great. Really? I thought that would fine. be the whole draw. Uh, um, it's a similar team to the F1 people, right? Yeah, but they're the F1. Okay, here we go. Ready? Yep. Full swing. Every episode follows a different golfer on the PGA Tour. So the first one already follows, don't like it. Already it, don't like it. It follows the friendship of of Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas because they've been friends and playing against each other for like the last twenty years. Cool, great concept. It's basically like half documentary and then half retelling of an event that they played in that basically one of them won last year. And it's that every episode, basically. I would prefer a chronological telling of the season. I don't, li- I don't like episodes that focus on individual characters, to be honest, typically. That's what I thought it was going to be. And I was like waiting for like, oh, like when are they going to... Br- and th- the event that they follow, talk about chronological order and the fact that like your eye will start twitching. The event that they followed is like halfway through the season for them. So the first episode about their friendship is centered around an event that takes place halfway through the actual PGA season. I see. Yeah, that's weird. So, yeah, it should start. It should start with spring training or whatever the golf equivalent is. Yeah, they don't really like to report for pitchers and catchers, <laughs> so I don't know if they can do that. But like, it has some of the same issues that I have with big budget Hollywood movies that this documentary has. One of all, the color grading, everything has that washed out. 
Like, look to Really? It. Even I this? Get it. I get it. You were flying the wall. Like, the event stuff, like, when they were actually recording behind the scenes at the tour events, phenomenal. But when they're, like, riding in the cars and working out, like, it has that, like, weird log, just ungraded footage to it that I just don't like. What I do like is everyone on the tour is a fucking degenerate. They either have a gambling problem, an addiction to like nicotine, alcohol, or some sort of drug. And like, it's been kind of cool to see that. I mean, not like that having, you know, addictions is funny, but. It's interesting to see the human element of these yeah. stars. Yes, I understand. This, Can I ask a question? Sure. Yeah. Are these are these top tier? Oh, we're people? looking at we're looking at cream of the crop. So like creme de creme. John, Dustin Johnson, Rory, Jordan Spieth, yeah, Justin okay. Thomas. Okay. There's a couple of rookies that kind of made their way last year, um, and then a couple mid tier people like Joel Damon and maybe not bigger household names. Hannah loves it. Hannah knows that I love golf. We've been watching it together. She's like, she's like, let's binge it. Like I'm ready to get through it. Nice. Um, and I said, like, well, we watched this event last year. You know exactly what happened. She was like, well, I wasn't really paying attention. I was like, good, cool. So, yeah, full swing on Netflix. Um, it's it's fine. It's good. Um, and for those that know nothing about golf, they the first episode, they try to do some sort of job explaining, like, how scoring works, and they it doesn't fare well. So My golf knowledge is frozen in time because I the only time I watched golf was when Tiger was in his prime. So I only know, like, Tiger... Phil, VJ Singh, like those are the only names that oh, I. Oh yeah, like Ernie, Ernie Els, Els yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, I mean you're thirty years, you're thirty <laughs> years yep. past what it is. Oh now. well. Do you think it'll have? I mean, I know that a lot of people got really into Formula One after the Formula One thing, Drive to Survive. You know, obviously, an American audience is not getting introduced to golf in the same way that many people were introduced to like the existence of F one, pretty much. Um, do you think this will have any kind of similar impact? Yeah, well, you like I I don't know the numbers or have the numbers in front of me, but the game of golf since COVID has grown exponentially. Mm. So I think there's a lot of people that are like it's not hurting getting into this. Yeah, yeah it's not hurting. I think it, if anything is going to do better, the problem is now then people all have opinions like oh instead of a Ryder Cup USA versus you know Europe there should be like a Ryder Cup where it's like PJ versus Liv. It's like they're never going to come to that decision. Like that's just that's stupid. But I think overall, yeah, like it does it does good things for the game of golf. It doesn't do good things when you're trying to play around in four hours on a Saturday and you got a bunch of fucking hacks out there swinging like idiots and you know your entire day is derailed. But like is the is the show PGA propaganda? Like, is it officially sponsored by the PGA? The show? No, but at the Genesis last weekend, they had their own tent and set up there and they did a press conference with the guys that did it so like i don't want to say it's backed by the pga mm, but mm. like they're yeah they're, they're in they're in cahoots they're in cahoots they're in yeah bed. like there there is there's a, obviously some some courting that's going on and and i'm fine with it the live guys are um, yeah for sure i hate half of them anyways gotcha um all what's right, in the Bill? news aj let's let's move on to the news what is in the news well here we go uh in honor of his new release knock at the cabin, the AV Club has put out their ultimate ranked list of all M. Night Shyamalan's films. His big budget adaptation of The Last Airbender, well, as we probably could have guessed, was last. And The Sixth Sense was first. Bill, what's your favorite M. Night top three? Or what's your personal M. Night top three? All right. <clears throat> so 
I'm going to go first. Objectively, I don't think anyone can argue that The Sixth Sense isn't his best, most enduring movie. Like, that's the headline of his obituary. Like, that's no question. Sixth Sense is it. And I do, and I do love The Sixth Sense, and I do think it is objectively his best movie. But as far as my personal favorites, because I don't watch The Sixth I've watched Sixth Sense maybe twice, and like that, I'm good. And like, I, I, underst- I understand how amazing it is, but it's not one that I watch. My top three is not necessarily in this order, but I would say it's The Village, Signs, and Unbreakable. Those three, like that's my list, and it's not even close. I've watched those a million times. They're the type of movies that I don't even watch anymore because I don't need to because I can watch them in my mind, shot for shot, line for line, whenever I want to. Like I just memorized. You know, I think a lot of people come on or listen to the podcast to, to listen to us fight. I wholeheartedly... 100% agree with you're not in any particular order top three. Th- those are the top three. That's it. They, they, they are. They are. That's it. Now, my problem is with these fucking hacks at AV Club <laughs> is, and Bill, you know you know it better than I do because you've been following AV Club for years. Who are their new writers and people that are editing this material? They're fucking idiots. They're idiots. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the story there. I mean, the AV Club uh, part of the onion family in case you didn't know that but they the onion is satire the av club is not uh but they used to be based out of chicago and for many many years they were kind of like an alt publication around film and television and what set them apart was they were not based in la or new york they were based in chicago so they were kind of outsiders they weren't uh, in bed with all the production companies and the stars and all the stuff they were kind of on the outskirts and they gave a different take and then They've been bought by whoever, some bigger company, and the bigger company said, we are moving the AV Club to L.A., and you're either coming with us or you're fired. And all of the mainstay writers that have been there for decades, potentially, um, protested and said, no, like this is the whole, like you're, you're destroying the culture of the AV Club, you're destroying the whole point of it. And the big bosses didn't care, and they moved it. So a bunch of writers that I came to know and trust, and like I, you just get to know a reviewer's voice, and you just see the byline, and you know what you're gonna get, and like you kind of you get to know them, is all out the window. So now it's all new people who have never heard of that are based in LA that are writing these top lists, and they've been the the quality of the publication in general has just nosedived, and uh, it's a shame. It's a real shame. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the Halloween list, uh, not Halloween, the Christmas list they put out and a couple other things. It just seems like they're just missing the mark. But back to Shyamalan. Uh, Besides Airbender, which is the cinematic equivalent of a war crime, uh, any any Shyamalans that are like middle tier that might have gone under the radar? And then what are some other just trash Shyamalan movies that just didn't do well? Um, his, his worst is besides Airbender. Like, so taking the adaptations out of it because that's not his thing. And that's clearly showed when he tried to adapt Airbender. And I think after earth, I believe was an adaptation as well. Those just didn't work. So looking at just his original work, the biggest flop to me was the happening. Um, the, the Zoe Deschanel, just, Mark Wahlberg, the, the, the plants are killing us. Yeah. Mar- yeah. The movie just doesn't doesn't work yeah it's kind of an interesting concept but like as a film it doesn't work um and lady in the water also didn't work even with an all-star cast didn't work um so those two are like uh old i I like and then split i really like and the the visit which was kind of his like low budget bounce back movie the visit is actually quite good and that gets slept on a lot i don't think a lot of people caught that one 
Um, so that was great, but but it really is the village signs and unbreakable sort of that string because I think he did six cents then unbreakable then signs then the village like that string right there was just unbeatable. I love um, spoiler alert when you cli- when you type in the happening on Google right you know there's a section that says like people also ask like how scary is this movie or is this based on a true score story? It says, who is the killer in the happening? And the top answer is plants also known as nature or trees are the main antagonists in M. Night Shyamalan's <laughs> the happening. Uh, but again, again, I think the, the concept of humans are a blight on this planet. And then the planet adapts to try to eliminate humans is like a really interesting idea. But like, boy, did, was it was it botched? Yeah, but that's like that's like synthesizing a movie down to its absolute like, you know, you've boiled off the entire film now. You're just talking about the overall like meta concept. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking about yeah, the concept. Yeah. It's an interesting idea to start with, but the script that he built around that concept was trash. Well veined forearms and Zoe Deschanel just like looking around with her doe eyes. Who's that girl? It's plants. It's plants. That's the thing I love about Shyamalan, though, is he does have these high concept ideas. And when you boil the movies down, they're very simple. And then he just adds a lot of great filmmaking technique on top of it. Like The Village, we've talked about a lot. Mismarketed. The Village is a romance, um, above all, in terms of genre. And Signs is basically a conversation between a man and God and like his losing faith and then regaining faith. Uh, and Unbreakable is just a fantastic story about finding yourself in the world and like, and, and understanding identity. Like there's just so much going on with those three movies that I think is, is enough to keep bringing me back and watching them over and over. And just, I just love them so much. Yeah. For those who didn't like the village, like I want to know why you're dumb. Yeah. The village is the one that we get the most pushback on for sure. <laughs> Signs and unbreakable. I, I don't think many people would argue against, but the village, I think if people harp on the twist and find it unbelievable and then they yell about it, I don't know. Well, I just, I think it's interesting because in, we actually recently talked about a movie that suffered similarly in the menu and even Babylon, which were both victims of like weird and bad and inaccurate marketing that sort of set viewers up for failure to a certain extent. I think the, I mean, I remember when the village came out and I remember being, I went to the theaters and started and I was like scared shitless, like walking in. Cause I thought it was like a straight up horror movie. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. And like, there are some scary parts and like when you, but like, I certainly don't sort of think back on it as like being a, a scary movie. Like terrifying. You know? Yeah. I didn't like it. I was like, this is dumb. Like this was like, it was all anticipation and like very little actual, scariness because fundamentally like you said it's not like a horror movie you know yeah it's a it's about bryce dallas howard walking phoenix and their love story and what she would do for love uh like that's the movie the porch scene in that movie is the movie and it makes me cry every time and but again if you're going in waiting for the sixth sense or waiting for a creature to jump out yeah it's not gonna it's not gonna do it for you uh more news aj according to deadline Anna de Armas Friend of the is show. talking about how <laughs> talking about how social media has affected the concept of a movie star for new generations. She did an interview with Vanity Fair 
where she blames social media for diluting what a movie star used to mean to past generations. Quote, I feel like the new generations don't have the concept because of social media. There's so much information out there and oversharing. The concept of a movie star is someone untouchable that you only see on screen, and that mystery is gone, end quote. AJ, do you agree with your girl? Uh, 100%. Yeah, social media has ruined everything. And there's a lot of people that I follow on social media because I think they're funny people. Like I, I find Seth Rogen actually more interesting now that he's like into pottery than he was as a writer or an actor. But then there's also instances where it's like, Hey guys, it's me, Brie Larson. My tummy hurts, but I'm still going to go on a six mile run. It's like, I don't give, I don't give a fuck. Like, and it's that compounded by everyone out there that just, there's constant updates. There's constant, like, um, you know, ability to connect with their fans and their fan base that like, sure. Like, People create connections now with the with their the stars that they love. I think it's a unhealthy and b like I can I I I understand where she was coming from. Is that like back in the day, like that was it? You saw them on the screen. They were if they walked down the street, they were surrounded by people and they had their scarfs on and their glasses on and they were kind of like you know tucked into a building to get away from people. Like there was mystery behind that. There was intrigue behind these people and how they got where they were and what they do in their private life. And like, you know, it, it, it was all imagination and, and kind of like, you know, what they were, what they were doing with their lives outside of, of, of TV and film. And now, now you just got to go on Instagram and click the story button and you get to see what's going on. Yeah. I feel like I am in a, a tough position to, to answer this in the sense that I don't engage on star social media at all. I don't give a shit about these people's personal lives at all because I don't know them. I'll never meet them. They'll never meet me. I just, I don't, I, so I don't follow it. So to me, there are still movie stars. Like I don't, I, I don't know that you can blame social media as much as people's insatiable appetite for gossip. Um, I think that it's different now because of the exposure, like you said, on social media, but also because of the amount of content. Like when I think of movie stars and I think about the past, I think, her point, a lot of that's embedded in nostalgia because when we were growing up, especially when I was growing up, it was like there was barely, I mean, in the internet didn't really exist. And so you would just see commercials for movies. And yes, you would see Denzel and Meryl Streep and Tom Cruise and, and whoever else. And so if, and, then, and then you would go see the movies that they're in and it would felt like they were movie stars because there was no prestige TV. There was no other content. It was just the movies that came out and the ads for those movies. And so you, there just wasn't any of this extra stuff. So it's different, yes. But are there no more movie stars per se? I would argue, no, I think there's still plenty of movie stars. I think to me, a movie star is someone who you will go see their movie regardless of the story or the genre. Like, you will go see whatever Nicole Kidman is in or I'll go see whatever Tom Cruise is in or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think there are still those people out there. I think Margot Robbie is a good example of a current movie star that is still a movie star. Uh, Bradley Cooper is certainly still, like, a, a movie star of today. Like, I don't think it's gone out the window as much as she is making it sound. Um, but, yes, I think the mystery has has dissipated for the people that do engage in that stuff. I don't, so I still think it's fine. Well, I think it affects other things as well. I can think of growing up reading 
in like Esquire or GQ magazine or like Rolling Stone magazine, like artist spotlights or like a day with X. And it's like they invited this one person into their home for 24 hours and they got to like sit down and like talk about life. Like you don't, you honestly don't see that anymore. Yeah, you have like shows like Hot Wings, which is fine and funny, but like you're missing that intimate kind of pull the curtain back view of what these people who are the most revered and high paid people in the entire world for our entertainment, what they, what they do when they're not on set. And I I just, it's, it kind of sucks that you, you miss a little bit of that mystery and that intrigue and that ability to report on that or tell a story around that when you can just, you know, start a live stream and, and, you know, talk to people. I don't know if it is as dramatic as she says, but I do understand what she's coming from. I do agree with you though, that there is an, an unhealthiness to it. Like these people that think that they are best friends with Blake Lively because they like follow her Instagram, even though in, even though in real, in real life, they would not be allowed on the same elevator as Blake Lively. Like, like it's, it's unhealthy that people like think that they're this close to these people that do not care about them and would not care about them in real life. Uh, so, yes, I do think there's a problem there. But that's a bigger societal issue to be dealt with. Want to get into some reviews? Move on to Should I Go See It? Yeah, we have two funny named movies. I think we're going to start with the first one, which is Skinamarink. Skinamarink, yep. Skinamarink. Skinamarink. Um, according to IMDb.com, two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. Bill, dumb. <laughs> To answer the question of... Should I go see it? <laughs> thank you. Uh, should you go see it? Uh, no, you should not go see Skin and Marink. And I I've already that. gotten some flack for this one on the Instagram. Uh, Why? Because... So, let me take you through it. It is set in 1995. Okay. Uh, so, it, it is of that time, including sure. the production value. It's basically, it basically feels like it's shot with a... A Sony Handycam, basically. Um, there's no score. There's barely any sound, honestly. And there's no story. It is it is a experimental film, period. But is it like found footage? Like, is it supposed to look like someone's recording it? A lot of it, or a lot of it, a lot of it, like 97% is like static shots. And it's just looking at the wall or a corner. Or whatever. And because it's a handicam, it's just film grain. It's just film noise. Sometimes it's so, it's black. It's just like, it's just black grain that you're looking at. And these shots last 30 to 40 seconds each. And you're just staring at it. Okay. And okay, you can't make out what is on the screen. And it's an experimental movie where you are supposed to kind of give yourself over to the, the mood, the vibe of it. And there are times where the camera goes from those static shots into like a handheld shot with like a flashlight and kind of starts to look around and it's fucking terrifying. Like I'm watching through my hands. Like it is so scary. But that happens like a handful of times in a 90 minute movie and the rest of it, you're just staring at the wall and it's one of the most infuriating, like frustrating movie watching experiences I've ever had in my life. Sounds like it probably would have made a really good short short film. Yes, that is literally my note. This is a 50-minute movie, tops, but it's an hour and a half somehow, and the pacing is unacceptable. And again, I, so I read 
film crit Hulk, if you don't read him. Um, and he wrote sort of a defense of the movie. And I get it. He's talking about the fact that the movie is leaving all this space for you to fill it with your own mind of like what could be what could be lurking. Like imagination. And there's an intensity and like a franticness to like squinting to try to make out what's going to come from any given frame. And it's all anticipation and like the human body. But to me, the human body and mind can like only keep that up for so long. Like eventually I got numb to it where I'm staring at a black screen and instead of like being afraid something's going to jump out, I'm in minute 62 of this experience and I'm like, I don't give a fuck anymore. So like... I get it, but I, it wasn't for me. I mean, I'm a grown-up, and after I shut off the lights in my basement, like every night, I still run up the stairs and don't look behind <laughs> me because I'm just terrified of what's going to be down here. Like, it's yeah, it's crazy how that still works, to your point. And there's a couple moments of that. There's a couple moments of that. There's a couple jump scares, some of the handout stuff, where like it was legitimately terrifying. Hmm. But to, to slog through all of that, and again... You're supposed to, presumably, in this experimental film, like let your mind wander a bit. Like it's okay to be bored. It's okay to not have an narrative structure and then get pulled back into it. Like it's okay for your mind to wander. Like it's a different type of movie. It's not a normal narrative. I get all that. But still, the experience itself of watching it, I did not really enjoy. So I had to give it a no, especially for like a normal average viewer. They would crucify me if they saw this movie if I gave it a yes because they would say what the fuck is this for me I I get the experimental element of it and I'm not anti-experimental film I dig lots of artsy weirdo shit but this was just not it here's a crazy one for uh, all the math lovers out there so the estimated budget is 15,000 Canadian dollars I think it's Canadian dollars um, gross worldwide as we're recording is two. $2,037,000 on a $15,000 budget. That's wild. That's good, that's good ROI. That's amazing ROI. Big time. Big time. Yep. It's uh, And again, people that are super into horror or want to be cool uh, have all like latched onto it as this like super neat weirdo movie that you tell your friends about. Um, but for me, I was just sitting there just not, not really enjoying it. Uh, next movie is going to be the latest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which I think is a title of a Rush album, Craig? Similar. Quadramania is a Who album, I believe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yep, that's the one that has... Uh Pinball Wizard on it, doesn't it? It's called something like that. Or is it Quadrophenia? Quadrophenia. Quadrophenia. Excuse me. Excuse me. Quadrophiliac, which is someone who's... Got too much quadra in their, in their blood. Okay. Um, <laughs> according to IMDb.com, IMDb.com, Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. Bill, has the MCU redeemed itself? Should I go see it? Uh, no to the first question, yes to the second. I gave it a soft, soft uh, yes. Soft yes. And I wrote in my review that the movie is good enough. <laughs> um, it gets by on the charm of Paul Rudd and his sense of humor is sort of featured throughout. And then also the sort of intriguing performance of Jonathan Majors as Kang is also a draw. Um, and even Rudd's daughter, Cassie, who's played by a new actress, 
um, compared to the other times she's been featured in the MCU. She's actually very, very good as well, especially for a, a teen actor, um, which sometimes can be distracting in these types of movies um, by poor performance. Um, she's actually quite good. So a lot of good performances across the board. And again, with Paul Rudd's sense of humor, I enjoyed it. I find myself enjoying it. It basically picks up where we are in the MCU. There's no real opening connection to any of the other parts of the movies from this phase, which has been a big knock against this phase in general. I was going to ask you, when you say we pick up where we left off in this phase, where exactly is that? What I should say is we pick up where we left off, I think, really <laughs> after Endgame, I guess. Yeah, none of the stuff that's happened between now and then is like, it's, it's not prominently featured, I should say. Okay. The biggest connection this has is to Loki. Because this is essentially a sequel to Loki. Okay, it's a sequel to Loki. So Loki in the TV show, Kang the Conqueror is introduced as the master uh, right. person behind the, the the grand timeline or the, the, the major timeline, whatever it's called. Kang is conquering various timelines uh, and destroying them. And in the process, obviously, wiping out timelines, which includes wiping out universes worth of people and plants and animals and whatever. Okay. So he's a bad guy in that sense. Um, yeah. So... Th- Basically, the whole gang ends up down in the quantum realm. We don't need to get into the details of how that happens. But they're in the quantum realm for the movie, and they're fighting a Kang variant who has taken over the quantum realm and is fighting to get out of the quantum realm so that he can continue his conquering. Played by steroid-infused Jonathan Majors. No, no, no. Allegedly steroid-infused by... by the (laughs) fucking most amazing specimen on the planet, Jonathan Majors. Very impressive. Uh, the quantum realm itself is a new place, so it's got new species. It's kind of created from whole cloth. It's super weird. It's kind of in line with Love and Thunder and Doctor Strange 2 in that it's like just a weird movie, and they do make some weird choices, but in a fun way. Um, kind of Star Wars-y. It's almost like the cantina, Mos Eisley Cantina, uh, except in the quantum realm. Same idea, just like a lot of random new creatures. Okay. And so it feels actually a lot like Ragnarok. If I had to pick a, like a closer movie, because it's like a new world, there's new quirky characters, they got famous comedians popping up in, in small roles. It's got a similar sensibility to Ragnarok. Obviously, it's not as good as Ragnarok, um, but it's the same kind of idea. And, you know, the story is fine, uh, but it's mostly all about the mid-credits and setting up phase five of the MCU. Ugh. Oh, my God. Bill, we can't keep doing this. We cannot. We cannot keep doing the this. The more I think about the ending, the more I like it. They actually did... Twist is a strong word, but they did some really interesting things with the story at the very end that reflect differently when you like look back on the movie. It was actually that piece of it has me more so liking the movie the more I think about it. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to say what it is, obviously, but you don't. You don't have to. Can I ask you a question though? But it it's a it's a solid B minus, I would say. This is kind of where we get into the Christmas train dilemma. That twist rug pull, if you will. How much of of the actual movie is that? Less than ten minutes. Uh, yeah, it's 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 like a story development, I should say that that colors the movie. Okay, okay. The less than ten minutes worth worth the other one hundred and fifty minutes of not good. Uh, first of all, it's not one hundred and fifty minutes. Uh, that was my next note. It's only two hours long, which is a W. Oh wow. Okay. And I would say yes because it's got again. I think the the comedy of Paul Rudd. Like I was laughing out loud multiple times. So, like, is it too CG at times and green screeny? Absolutely, 100%. That's, there's too much of that. But it's still funny and weird and interesting, and Jonathan Majors, you get to see him as Kang, and, and I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine. Here's my dilemma, and we've been talking about it, I don't know, past year. 
is another example. What you just said is that everything that just came before it in the film universe just doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like when we will. It doesn't have a measurable impact on this storyline. No. Besides the show Loki. Besides the show Loki. Which means it's a. A waste of my time and my money. Well, not yet. We don't know yet. They haven't wasted your time yet. <laughs> yet. When they make the Avengers double movie in 2025, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, then presumably all of this stuff will come back. But as far as lead up to this movie, no, there's not many. The other movies have not connected to this. Loki connects to this. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so it's fine. It's fine. The answer is it's this fine. This is the first Ant-Man movie, I did a little research, that wasn't co-written by Paul Rudd. Does that stand out, especially as someone who loves Paul Rudd? No, I thought I, I would have guessed that he had because it still had that same sense of humor. That Paul Rudd isn't Yeah, exactly. It? Okay. Well, I'm not, I know you said yes, should I go see it? Um, I'm not going to watch it. Um, I'm probably gonna look up spoilers for the the credit after credit scenes, um, because I feel as though um, it's just a waste. It's just with the death of Thanos came the death of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I won't necessarily argue that. I mean, the MCU has it lost its way since the Infinity Saga. Yeah, no, it definitely has. Um, but I still contend that even a B minus. Marvel movie is still better than most movies I see on any given day. Um, so there's that. Wow. All right, Bill. Um, Am I wrong? Have you seen the 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 dreck that's in theaters right now? I can't even go to the movies right now to review anything. Yeah, but it's it all just, trash. It just, it just... So to see a movie that's competently made makes me laugh, visually interesting. Like, I'll take that. Eh, it's a fucking money grab. They don't care. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> they don't. This has been comic book talk. <laughs> Trash talk. Scott Lang talk. All right. A uh, couple big, though. Speaking of trash in the theaters, there's a couple big things coming up that I think you've bought tickets for. Bill, what are you watching and what will you be watching? Well, I'll start with the latter. I will be watching Cocaine Bear. Um, that's Woo! this weekend. And I got a uh, early access ticket to see Creed 3 a couple days before it comes out in Dolby Atmos. And I'm... Amped, or as you would say, torqued. And who got the invite? <laughs> Old Uncle Craig, baby. I'm hoping AJ joins too. He hasn't yeah, committed gotta, yet. I got to figure out if uh, it's in Somerville at what it's time? 7 45, somewhere in the seven o'clock hour. That's fine. Stay home. That's going to be a tough one. Okay. Uh, yep. So you're going to see that. Uh, can't wait. Hard bodies. What else are you going to watch? For movies, that's it. But I got a plenty to talk about for Netflix and Bill. Bill me up. Netflix. Lay me on that couch and fill me up. <laughs> fill me with knowledge. <laughs> uh, we got to start with The Last of Us, best show on TV. Uh, Let's go. We've talked about it the last three weeks in a row. We don't need to talk about I just, it. I just want to continue to say that it is fucking incredible. So The Last of Us, still great. Love it. Reason I live. Anyway. Uh, is it affecting your relationship with mushrooms? Yeah. Are you anti-fungi now? <laughs> Dude. Do they freak you out? I went to a restaurant recently, a fancy restaurant for my birthday a couple weeks ago. Right. There was a dish that involved some weirdo mushroom, and I was like, nah. You can't do it? <laughs> Not today. You don't need those cordyceps. <laughs> it legitimately freaked me out. It legitimately freaked me out. Uh, I have not had that experience. Anyway, last one continues to be great. So 
There's that. And then I watched three different things on Netflix, really living up to the Netflix and Bill name here. Um, I watched The Wonder, which is a Netflix original movie with Florence Pugh. That's about the history of the bread. The old factory in Natick that they shut down. That whole neighborhood used to smell like delicious. The hostess, the, oh my God, you would walk, you drive by there and you're like, the sugar fuck. smell just wafts into the backseat of the car. You're like, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, not the focus of this particular film. Okay. Uh, the film is about the opposite, actually. It's about gluten free people. <laughs> it's the opposite of uh, delicious sugary bread. It's it's about a young girl who miraculously has been alive for four months without having eaten anything, and Florence Pugh is a nurse that they bring in to try. They bring in a nurse and a nun to come sort of watch the girl and see is it truly a miracle or not? Because this takes place in fucking old. A time. nurse and a nun walk into a house. Exactly. Wait, uh, does Florence play the girl or the the nurse? She plays the nurse. So a girl hasn't eaten four months, and they need to figure out if it's like. A curse, a blessing. Um, yeah, if it's a miracle, if there's some some shadiness, if it's fake, if it's real, whatever's going on. What time? What time period are we in? It's like seven seventeen eighties. I don't fucking know. Oh, it's, well, it's, it's 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 way back. Okay. Um, it's like it's a period piece. It's a costume drama, and I would give it a yes. I okay. gave it a yes. As a matter of fact, love that. Um, uh, Pugue is really good. You know, she, she's just she's always great. Um, it feels almost like an A24 light movie. Um, it's a slow burn drama. They got the percussive music, the dark look. Um, story kept me interested. It was under two hours. You're kind of you know, thinking the whole time, trying to figure out, is it real, is it not? The real highlight, though, to me, was the movie had this really bold, inventive framing device to open and close the movie that... I'm not gonna say it here, but I absolutely loved it, and like that alone is worth the yes. I like texted you immediately when it happened because I I just loved how they set up and ended the movie, um, just something I never seen before. So, so I gave the wonder a yes. If you're looking for a Netflix slow burn, movie. love it. Okay, what else? I mean, it seems like you've been watching a lot of shit. What else? I have. I also watched the Bill Russell Netflix documentary called Legend. It's a two parter. Oh. Um, okay, that was great. I mean, I'm. I'm not only a basketball junkie, but a Celtics diehard. So I was in the can for it from from the jump. But it was really, really good. They talk not only about his career, uh, but they also talk about uh, what he did with civil rights and his work outside uh, the arena. And it's fantastic. Um, It probably could have been one part. They probably could have done it in like two hours and 20 minutes instead of two, one and a half hour chunks. It was it kind of was a little long. Okay, Um, but still great. Interviews with everybody. Did you do stuff. a private showing in your coach's office that apparently that you record out of now? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and then I watched the Pamela Anderson documentary, Pamela, A Love Story on Netflix. Came highly recommended from Melissa Childs, our TV expert. Uh, I didn't even know that was didn't even know that was a thing. It, this is, you know, after the Pam and Tommy Hulu fiasco, this was an opportunity for Pam to get a doc crew to follow her around and basically tell her story from her perspective. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it was good overall. Uh, they moved through a lot of stuff quickly. Like, they spend more time on the latter part of her life than I would have thought. Like, they get through sort of modeling and Baywatch and Tommy. Like, and then we're halfway through the movie. And I'm like, so wait, is the movie over? Because, like, that's... Wait. But then they go way deeper into the second half of her life. Um, 
So I'll, I'll, the pacing felt a little off to me, but that's more me setting my own expectations for what the movie should have been. So that's on me. Um, well, I think that's also part of the problem with having the subject of the documentary be a part of the production of the documentary. She yada, yada, yadas over the part that everybody cares about and focuses on the part that nobody cares about. Yeah, I guess. I, I'm currently watching the trailer on mute, and I didn't, I didn't recognize, I didn't know that was her. I'm rattled right now. <laughs> yeah, because probably the vision you have of her is from fucking 98. Is yeah. like literally growing up and being in 1996 and seeing her on TV and be like, oh my God, that's Pamela Anderson. And now you look at her, you're like, oh, like you're in your... She had the audacity to age. <laughs> Stupid idiot, getting old. I mean, wait, she's been out of she's been out of the spotlight for a while. But so how yeah, old is she now? It's... That's why like, my brain is like really having a hard time. She must be, what, in her 60s? Um, 50s or 60s, yep. I am just rattled. 55 years old. 55. She's Canadian? Yeah, she's Canadian, too. Yeah, I learned, I learned a lot about her. Um, as you would, too, if you watch the doc. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Pam, Pam, Pam Anderson. Little Pam, Pam Anderson. All right, what else? Do you did you either did you like eat food or use the bathroom the last two weeks? For Christ's sake. Yes. Yep. Did you work? Yep. Just rowing machines and uh, Netflix docs. Yeah, just working out, working and watching stuff. Yeah. What's your What's your splits? You doing like cardio lifts? You doing like like push press legs? I'm following the I'm I'm following the uh, the Davis method. This is a uh, friend of the show. <laughs> oh, here's a good plug. If you need to get your fucking life in shape because you're a piece of shit, you need to subscribe to and hire Ryan Davis to be a personal trainer. Both Bill and I have been using him. I've seen gains in the last sixty days that I've never had in my entire life, and I'm in my mid thirties. My T levels are plummeting, and. <laughs> He's a he's picking me right, picking me and my T levels up, and we're uh, we're crossing the finish line. He's a miracle worker, five stars. He's a, he's a miracle worker. Ryan Davis, the David Method Summit Wellness Davis Group. Wellness Group. Wow. So, Summit Wellness. Check him out, Bill. I think I think did not realize this was going to turn into a spawn con segment. He might be our first spawn. He might be <laughs> our first sponsor. Is he sponsoring us, or are we sponsoring him? <laughs> Hit him up on DM and make sure that you say Sigzy sent you um, so we get a cut of whatever he makes. But I'm honestly, my traps, bro, right now, I feel like a shrugging downstairs it. like uh, what's his face in that movie? Yeah, I mean, a, a can of wedding soup between my shoulder blades. I could crush him. Just cracking open walnuts. <laughs> All right. All right. Is that it? Can we? We done, we done here. That's been Trap Talk. Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to tell your friends to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Podcast.